welcome to a supplemental edition of the first episode of Sportsish. I'm Chad Shanks, and if you're looking for the first full episode of this series, you'll want to download the one titled Episode 1, Team Social Media in the Rise of NBA Twitter. But if you've already listened to it and want to hear more from my guest from that episode, then you are in the right place. This is my full conversation with Chris Coivisto, currently the Senior Director of Accounts at STN Digital. But for a few years, he was one of the driving forces behind the best Twitter account in the NBA. He speaks openly about his journey from working in the Portland Trail Blazers PR department, his transition to their digital team, and ultimately about the factors that led to his departure. While the main episode focuses more on him being the catalyst for some high-level social sanctions, here you'll hear how he was the catalyst for social media managers across the NBA getting to know each other and striking up friendships that have even endured longer than our tenures in the association. Now, I must acknowledge there are some audio issues. It shouldn't affect your listening enjoyment, but the quality will be less than perfect on account of uh, some connection problems during the interview, as well as a rescheduling issue that uh, resulted in me conducting it while trying to soothe a grumpy three-month-old baby. But luckily, the, the same charm Chris showed through the Trailblazers accounts is on full display here, so I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation as much as me and my baby did. So here is my full conversation with Chris Coivisto. So did you grow up in Portland? You know, were you a, a Blazers fan as a kid? Yeah, yeah. And that's funny. I was just talking to somebody today about, um, you know, when you're a, you're a fan of something and then you go work for them. So in this case, the Blazers, like you lose, it becomes a job and you kind of lose that fandom, which, uh, you know, it's a, it's a price you have to pay. But um, it's definitely something that, to note and something that I tell people who are trying to break into the industry. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough to stay a fan when uh, when it's your job every day. Exactly. So, do you remember going to the Rose Garden or you know whatever they called it back in the time? And then you know what was it like the day you finally walked in and was knowing like, wow, this is this is where I work now. Yeah, dude, I remember. Um, <clears throat> I never went to the Memorial Coliseum. Uh, was the venue that. Uh, the team from the 90s and, uh, you know, early 2000, or I guess uh, early 90s and, and 80s and before played in um, when the uh, the Blazers won their lone championship, which uh, people still like to talk about. Um, but uh, yeah, my first game, I remember going as a, as a fan with my dad and I'd been a huge basketball fan. Like I'm talking every morning I would wake up and eat my cereal and look at box scores and see who got technical fouls and who made threes and, and who's leading the league in scoring. Um, and then, uh, you know, following them on TV and, and magazines and stuff like that, then seeing my first, the first NBA player in person uh, that I ever saw was Danielle Marshall. And I remember going early and being like, holy shit, this guy's like a real human and I'm like right here and I can see him and like almost felt like he was like uh, 3D, you know, like after seeing him flat in images my whole life. Um, it was pretty cool. So yeah, grew up, um, you know, huge fan of the team, just fan of basketball in general. Uh, the first few games I went to, I was wearing the other team's jersey. I remember uh, David Robinson when the Spurs came, uh, Tim Hardaway when the Warriors came. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but then uh, in college, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life and applied for an internship uh, and kind of... Uh, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to work for the Blazers because that would be cool. Um, and, you know, eventually turned into, uh, I was fortunate enough to get, get an internship and, and underneath the leadership of a really 
uh, really savvy and well-versed and, and, and respected um, league executive named Sherry Hansen um, in PR. <clears throat> and she really, you know, helped me learn the, lo- learn the ropes in terms of, you know, it's a job. Um, you know, you got to kind of check your fandom. Um, hopefully you can learn a love of PR and media um, in addition to, you know, being a fan of the team. So she really helped mold me into... Uh, I guess a, a professional um, working in, in pro sports. So, uh, how did you make the transition over to digital? What what was the impetus there? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I uh, I was doing so. I started out doing um, sports PR. So you know, game notes and going to practices, going to games, um, watching workouts. During uh, I remember watching uh, one of like seven people who saw Kevin Durant work out for the Blazers and, and Greg Oden work out. Um, so that was the sports side. And then eventually they needed help in corporate communication. So I split time doing um, corporate PR and sports PR um, and eventually just fully corporate PR. And that gets really, um, you know, like, like I said, the whole reason to to work there in the first place because you're a fan of the team. But once you're talking about Green Week and naming rights to an arena and all this other, you know, ticket sales, it's not as fun and sexy anymore. So um, really was trying to scratch an itch, uh, kind of, you know, did everything I could in, in that area. Um, and we hired a new president named Chris McGowan, uh, who, you know, on his first day, our head of PR was supposed to walk him around, show him the ropes, all that stuff. But he was actually new to the company, too. So I was kind of the um, the veteran. So I was able to kind of lead the charge there and really built a good connection with him. Um, and he's definitely uh, social thinking, digital first, like really gets it and, and really progressive. And he, you know, one thing led to another. He had me kind of run his Twitter account and grow his uh, his following from, you know, a couple hundred to about 5,000. And, um, you know, a few months later, a, a position uh, opened up. The guy that was running social um, decided to leave for whatever reason why. That was the year that, um, you know, sorry to bring this up, but the year that Dame hit the uh, the point nine shot against the Rockets. Uh, and then oh, I don't left. care anymore. I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he left. Um, so there's a position opened up and they kind of reshuffled the responsibilities. And he said, you know, I really think you should apply for this. Uh, I know you're getting really stale and really bored with the, the corporate PR stuff. And I know that you have a digital mind and, uh, you know, kind of encouraged me. And one thing led to another. And, uh, you know, a few months later, that was uh, that was the position I was in. So what was it like whenever you walked in? What was the what was the job like when you started? Uh, the job when I started, this was 2014. Um, a lot of it was website, you know, a lot of it was like driving people back to the website, uh, getting traffic, getting page views, getting, uh, video starts, uh, and using social as a tool to drive people there. Um, but then at the same time, we had the ability to kind of push the envelope and, and toe the line in terms of, uh, you know, quirkiness and, um, you know, being fun and loose and uh, ruffling feathers a little bit in terms of like social copy when it wasn't, um, uh, you know, w- when the initiative wasn't to drive, uh, you know, ticket sales or traffic to the website or whatever. It's that kind of in between time we were able to uh, spread our wings a little bit and have some fun. And I know you worked with uh, TJ Ansley when uh, when you started. Like, just tell me a little bit about what was the the team that you worked with there, because you guys had more than the Rockets, where it was just me having to do everything. 
Yeah, so TJ was um, the director of digital, and um, he and I had uh, a relationship already when I was in PR. Um, you know, he I helped him do a couple interviews, and, you know, we kind of have some similar interests. So we already had a relationship. So it was almost like reporting to a, a friend of mine. Um, but he really taught me the ropes uh, in, in terms of the bigger picture. Like, I, I, got a, I had a good understanding of social, um, but the bigger picture, uh, you know, where ad revenue comes from and why a digital department exists. Um, so he was kind of like the mentor there. Uh, it's funny, I remember having a conversation with him <coughs> um, the 15-16 season uh, during the you know, the first couple games and no one was really using GIFs uh, from sports teams. So I had to convince him to let me use like a pop culture GIF uh, one time per half. <laughs> um, and, you know, that was kind of, we were one of the first teams to do that. And then, uh, you know, where things are today, it's, at, it's out of hand how, uh, how many gifts are being used. And that's kind of the, the way communication. And, and just as a side note, I'm kind of, uh, I think people need to be more creative. Um, but, uh, in terms of the team, there was, uh, myself doing, uh, you know, managing editor. So I would, uh, kind of be the funnel for the, all of the content, um, that was going on, uh, social and digital. Uh, we had a, uh, a video department that was dedicated to broadcast initially, um, so kind of picking up scraps from them when we could. Uh, we had a digital blogger slash TV host um, who was uh, on her way out, um, and then we had our traditional designers that uh, you know they were they were there to do all of the big uh, design work in terms of like citywide campaigns and, and you know social was kind of an afterthought. Um, so a couple of months after that, uh, we were able to finally hire uh, a digital designer, a guy that was dedicated to uh, our graphics, and a really good dude named Brian Matzat, who um, came from Milwaukee, so unfortunately he's a Bucks fan, um, but really had this, he cut from the same cloth in terms of really wanted to do new things, never settling for like the status quo. Um, you know, we would have these crazy in-depth, like really rabbit hole conversations about, you know, clicking on a PNG versus clicking on a JPEG and, you know, getting the right dimensions, uh, so that no text is cut off in, in your feed. So he was a really awesome person to work with. Um, and then we eventually hired another person named Cody Sherritt who came in, um, to, I guess, you know, to back up, I was also in charge of all of our arena content too. So any concerts or events that were happening at both the Moda Center and the Memorial Coliseum. Uh, and that was just too much for one person. So Cody came in and, and took that, uh, off of my plate and then was also kind of, uh, another hand to help out on Blazer stuff when needed. So, uh, the team really looked like, uh, that first season. It was TJ, myself, um, Cody, Brian and then an intern named Joey. Um, so that was the team. And then, uh, I don't know if it was the next year or the year after that, we ended up hiring a, a, a photographer, um, who was, he had been with the Oregonian for 20 years. He was, he's the best photographer in Oregon, um, and just has a, a thing for sports. And, uh, we're able to get him in. And at that time, uh, priorities were shifting towards social and we had a lot of, um, a lot more firepower and a lot of backing in terms of resources and assets. So he was really, um, he reported to me and, uh, while he took photos for everything else, um, social was definitely top of mind. So, uh, we really lucked out there and, and, you know, having, having not, oh, well, then also Casey Holdall, who is our, who is the beat writer, um, who had been doing digital since, since I was in, in high school. Um, 
he's been covering the team for 10 or 11 years and he has his he's he has his path and his you know the, the way he does things he covers the team breaking news uh also team trends and um you know covering every game and every practice it's just a complete workhorse so we had the written content from him we had the static graphic content from brian um we had the supplementary supplementer supplement supplementary <laughs> supplementary content from uh cody uh, and then the video content from the the video department um, when they could help out, and then the photo content from Bruce. So we really had kind of all of the pillars in line there for a couple of years, and it was really really a dream team because everyone had that same um, competitiveness that uh, we want to be the best, we want to have the best content across the board, uh, and also be fun and, and uh, make some noise in, in the way we engage with people. And so is your approach uh, very intentional then to kind of you know, push the edges, kind of be a little cheeky, a little more irreverent on there. I mean, you said you had to get permission to use a pop culture gif. I mean, what was the process like convincing the organization to get on board with, hey, we're going to we're going to take social media in, in this direction rather than just posting links to the website? Sure. Yeah. Lee, um, you know, when I mentioned Chris McGowan came in uh, a few months later, he brought in a VP of marketing named Dwayne Hankins, who was uh, with Chris the Kings, at the... Right? Uh, What's that? Well, he's with the Kings, right? Yeah, he was with them at the the Kings and uh, some of those AEG properties. So, uh, Dwayne's story is, uh, you know, if you Google, uh, you know, LA Kings 2012, uh, they were the first team uh, in all of sports to really. Um, take a different approach on social and kind of uh, talk trash and have, you know, call people out. And I guess troll is the best way to summarize it. Um, so they did a really good job. They were featured in every single publication possible because nobody knew about uh, this style or this approach. And they were in the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs. So a lot of eyeballs. But eventually, uh, two years later, fast forward, he's our VP of marketing. So he already has that built-in um, mindset and that, that strategy uh, of really moving the needle. So in terms of that, it, it was it, we didn't need a lot of approval or um, you know sign off. He, he that's the way we wanted to operate. Um, and I probably missed misspoke about getting you know the gifts approved. It was more of a uh, hey TJ, I want to try this, and he was like, eh, I don't know if that's really going to work. Um, and like I said, our relationship was one where it wasn't uh, you know very mili military like, where it's like yes sir, yes sir, no ma'am. It was very conversational, and let's try this and see what happens. Um, so yeah, from from the get go. Like Dwayne, uh, he he set the uh, the direction of the voice and the tone and, and kind of what we wanted, um, and then let us run run with it from there. Yeah, do you what do you remember about some of the the earliest posts that you did that kind of pushed the line a little bit? In, you know, the response that you got from fans and from the organization internally. Yeah, so um, I mean, the first going back to the very start, my first couple of months, I was still in like a PR mindset, so I was almost doing like play-by-play -play tweets, uh, which is boring, and nobody follows anybody for play-by-play -play tweets. Um, so I remember going to lunch and, and talking to Dwayne about really shifting the, the tone and the approach. Um, but one that really stood out early was uh, I think it was EA Sports put out a graphic that um, something to the effect of you know you have one second left, who do you want to take the last shot? And it was like a picture of Dame and maybe James Harden and maybe Kobe or LeBron. Uh, and all I did was, I remember I was, I was, it was a Sunday. I was like just 
messing around with my kids and pulled out my phone and just responded, ask Houston, um, and thought nothing of it. And two hours later, I get a call and the thing had thousands of retweets and, uh, it was really blowing up and, um, I had no idea, like something that I was laying on my ground on a Sunday and it was just an at reply. It wasn't like I did the period, period before the at reply. I don't, that's not my style, but, um, <clears throat> that was one of the early ones that was like, oh shit, we might have something here. Uh, we also did a, uh, an April Fool's spoof that, uh, <clears throat> one of my personal favorites, uh, we tried to, you know, we did a little brainstorm to see what we could do to kind of, uh, you know, make people, throw people off with our April Fool's. Everyone knows April Fool's is coming, but, uh, you can still fool some people. And so we, we had Brian make this graphic of, uh, the arena without a roof on it using like those you know those seat finder things that you have on websites and uh it looked really realistic and so we said that you know we're gonna have a retractable roof um as an april fool's joke and i i kid you not three of the four uh network affiliate news stations called our pr department and asked if it was true um we were getting (laughs) radio stations calling and everyone thought it was true and that night uh, a, a news station came out and did a little feature on myself and TJ um, just because of the noise that made. So uh, that was really fun. Uh, and then the one that uh, was kind of, uh, I guess, you know, one of the the more publicized ones was uh, Chandler Parsons shot an air ball. Um, and we cu- we cut a gif of that, and um, I put it up and, and just said, you know, to be fair, the the NBA three point line is really far away from the basket. Just you know, that's something that we commonly do is was troll players and teams and, and in a playful a playful way. Um, but after the game, Chandler responded and said, um, "Have fun in the lottery." Um, cause we had a bad record at the time and they had a better record. Um, and CJ McCollum responded right away. Like while I was texting with our, our CMO and our president, like, yo, what should I do? Um, and CJ said, we hit the lottery, not signing you as a free agent. Um, and Twitter exploded, man. Twitter went crazy. Uh, it got picked up everywhere. And, um, anyway, long story short, the next week, the NBA came out with a new, social media policy um, for teams not to disparage or tweet at uh, other teams or players of other teams um, moving forward. So my boss said, uh, or I guess our, our CMO, Dwayne, said that, uh, you know, that's the, the Chris Coivisto rule was uh, you can't, can't talk trash, trash to players anymore. And that, uh, that was kind of a fun moment. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I remember seeing that saying, Sorry, guys. I think I, <laughs> I think I kind of started it. Uh, <laughs> yes, you no, you you started it. Yes, Chad, you are the Godfather, man. I'm telling you, I bought uh, one of those uh, free Chad or whatever uh, bring back Chad shirts with a, a gun emoji and a horse emoji, uh, and I was wearing that all around uh, that summer. And uh, no, you were. Uh, you are a legend. Um, I was just telling my buddy in the office that I was going to talk to you. And he's like, oh, man, that guy, he, he, you know, he should go down in history as you know, revolutionizing the industry. I don't know if I go that far, but I did have to tell my mom to stop buying those shirts that I wasn't behind them. She thought <laughs> I was getting money from them, so she bought like 20 of them. I'm like, mom, I don't know who did that. Like, some guy just, just did it. I still no, to this day awesome. don't know who did it. All right, but enough about me. Like, How did you do the job with young kids because i can't even imagine with the hours that you have to put in like how you did that and still had time to raise a family yeah so um you know i was really fortunate with um you know the 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 way that the department when the company was structured um you know there was kind of a 
and understanding that, you know, the people that work game nights and go to practice and work weekends and nights, like there's a little bit of flexibility there. So there was a lot of times where I could, uh, you know, work from home or go in late and leave early. Um, just a general understanding, like I didn't have to log my hours or anything. Um, so that helped uh, a bit. Um, but honestly, like it was my, my wife is just like a, a rock star, you know, and she was uh, she was understanding and knew like, you know, when I met her, I was working in PR. So I was working, you know, odd hours, not necessarily the, the social hours, but um, she knew that when when we met um, and then, you know, just full transparency, I lived fairly close to my parents so my mom was able to help out um with the family when i would be you know gone for 12 14 hours at a time um but yeah it was you know there were several times where i had to miss uh, an event or uh you know a thing at the school or drop off or pick up or whatever that you know you can't get those back and you know it's part of the it's a big part of the reason why i left uh the industry is just you know you, you don't want to blink and all of a sudden your kids are you know in high school and you didn't see them because you were so selfishly consumed with your own career yeah i can't imagine going back now having a, a kid I, I know people have done it and people have you know had their whole careers but i just i don't see how they do it well you look at like the broad the broadcast crew too like they're they're usually uh much older and have established families and they're on the road half the year so um i look at that and it almost helps me like um you know cement my decision that you know i don't want to be like that where i'm just facetiming with my kids every day i want to be able to be in their lives yeah. Did you travel at all? Did you go on any road trips? Yeah. So I traveled a little bit every year. And then the last year, um, I want to say I went on about a third of the trips. Um, and, you know, again, all this kind of uh, this culmination of, of me leaving, um, they wanted the social person to travel 100 uh, percent this this current season. So um, that helped. Like, there's no way I was going to do that. Um, it sounds awesome. It sounds cool. Um, but even just traveling a third of the year was like, man, some of those road trips where it's like you have an off day and you're staying in a nice hotel in a huge city, but you don't have the money of somebody who, you know, is on the team or, you know, that can actually enjoy this part of life. And you're just sitting in your hotel room and, uh, it's lonely, man. It sucks. Um, and I can't imagine doing it full time. So, uh, you know, like I, like we were saying, like the, it's a young kid's job and you know, the, the, the glamour and the sexiness wears off, um, you know, fairly quickly. Oh yeah. Traveling went from being like the coolest thing ever to just an albatross, like really fast, really fast. Yeah. It's not, uh, and now every, everybody's traveling their social person. So it's, uh, I don't know. There's been a lot of turnover lately and, and I, I assume that might have something to do with it. Yeah. I've, I've paid attention to that as well. Like, are you, maybe, you know, more than I do being, still being in contact with, um, more people than I am like this, is the turnover rate in the digital realm in the NBA, is it increased? Because I know when I was there, maybe not so much in digital, but in just working for a team overall, the turnover rate was pretty damn high. Yeah. Well, we had, um, you know, uh, we had a bunch of, of uh, rock stars in different positions that really worked well together. Um, but there was a point where, um, you know, there was – People in, in sponsorship, but the, I mean, we teams are, are still trying to figure out how to do sponsorship and, and you know branded content on social, and uh, that actually helps uh, my current business because I can help them do that. But um, we were fortunate to be ahead of the curve, so several years ago, uh, you know, had an understanding with sponsorship that they were not going to sell anything that wasn't uh, approved by us or collaborated on with us. 
Um, so we're not having to do, you know, basically radio advertisements for their, their partners. We could actually make cool branded content that didn't jeopardize the integrity of the content. Um, so we had across the board, there was a really good, um, meshing, a really good camaraderie. Um, but eventually a couple people, you know, went on to other opportunities, whether that was still within like Vulcan Sports and Entertainment, uh, which is Paul Allen's company, um, or just other, uh, other adventures. Um, and then I, I left, um, and, you know, after that, uh, you know, TJ left and then, um, we had one of our designers leave. And then the guy that was running social Cody, um, who was, who was, uh, filling in for, for what I was doing, uh, he ended up getting fired. So they have, uh, like turnover specifically in Portland has been really high. And I actually reached out to Dwayne and like, um, was just like, man, if you know, let me know if you need anything. Um, looks like there's a lot of turnover and I can't imagine what you're going through. Um, but it, it, yeah, in general, um, it's, it's a lot of hours. You, your, your schedule is dictated by the NBA schedule. Your personal life is controlled by the NBA schedule. So there's a game on Saturday. You can't make plans on Saturday. If there's a game on Thursday night, you can't make plans that night. And that goes across the board for anybody that works game nights. Uh, and that takes a toll, man. Um, it's, it's demanding. Um, and it's hard to be, uh, you know, a regular person, uh, in any sense, but then in social specifically, it's not as fun anymore. There's, it's so corporate and so many hands in the pot and so many cooks in the kitchen that like you, it's not fun like it used to be. Um, everything is scrutinized. Um, you know, everybody's trying to be, you know, poppy and fun and punchy. Uh, and then every, every, you know, everybody wants their hands in social so they can use it to make money for their department. So it seems a lot less rewarding than it used to be. Um, and that probably, uh, equates to a lot of the turnover. Yeah, I talk, when I was talking with Greg earlier, we were saying that um, we both kind of feel like the get off my lawn guy when we're talking about social media and just looking at it now and saying, you know, it's just it's not as good as it was back in my day, like when it was those those early Wild West days of like 2011, 2012, where you could do and say anything and have fun without consequence. And now um, you, anything gets misinterpreted people blow it out of proportion and you have to end up issuing an apology or something and it's just yeah i don't i don't know if i could do it today i don't think i would want to um and i and you know i feel like in, in my per- current position like we're working with uh you know d- digital directors and, and vps but we're also dealing with the you know the frontline people so um you know social media managers for sports teams and i feel their pain man and i i do what i can to kind of help them um you know, use ticks, uh, trip tricks and tips and, and different tools to help get through it. Cause it's, I mean, at the end of the day, you're working 80, hundred hour weeks and, and you're not getting paid very well. Yeah. You don't get paid what the players get paid. Yeah. Not even close. <laughs> well, what do you remember? So what was a typical game day like for you? Like just high points throughout the day like what time did you show up to the the time that you left which was probably 14 15 hours later yeah so um you know once we got a good uh system down and really had the the template down um we game days became really um systematic so the first thing was to you know announce the game and we would tie our you know it's game day post to a a web page that had all of that day's information you know active players um you know uh projected starters stats trends all that basically no game notes for the fans um so we would start the day 
by getting that out the door, um, getting as many views on that as we could, um, and and the hook, you know, it, it changed from you know a static graphic to you know some witty copy, and then even like a a hype video. Um, so once we got that out, then it was like, okay, the game is officially announced. I guess we felt like we had to announce the game, even though everybody knows that we're playing. Um, and then it was uh, then it was business as usual for those, you know, from like 10 a.m. to like 3 p.m. Um, so any other content that was scheduled to go out, any other projects, any other priorities, um, getting those out the door and, and being reactionary, listening to fans, engaging, following the hashtags, you know, looking at all the mentions. Um, and then right around 3 o'clock uh, for a home game, uh, heading down to the arena and getting the, the players walking in because, you know, fans really – Everybody can see a player enter their jersey on the court. Like, there's so only so many ways you can slice that. But some of the stuff, like what we really try to focus on, was stuff that you couldn't get from a broadcast or from you know just any generic website. So that behind the you know everybody overuses the term behind the scenes, but behind the scenes content, uh, players walking in, especially like Dame and CJ, and kind of like what they were wearing that night. Um, and a lot of times, like, uh, you know, we'd have a, we had good rapport with them. So they would like do, you know, something engaging to the camera to really make it a nice hook. Um, and then covering shoot around, you know, just waiting for an opportunity. Uh, we had a bunch of different gadgets, whether it was a gimbal or, you know, mounting a GoPro on the top of the hoop or, um, you know, using uh, a fisheye lens, those uh, those Olo clips. You know, every game it was like, let's try something new because, you know, especially for home games, you have 41 of the same things over and over. Um, we, we had to keep ourselves sane, so we would try, uh, you know, a f- setting a camera up for, a, you know, a manual cinemagraph and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and then when the game happened, you know, there's tip-off and you, you basically live-tweet the game. And uh, one thing that I always did to really try to stay in... Um, I guess hip, I guess, uh, was, uh, on my tweet deck, I had a column for all of like the, the local bloggers that weren't like, um, I guess like your generic, uh, beat writers or, you know, the, the, the crazy hardcore fans. Um, but really, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess snarky is a good word to use. And I would have their feed open right next to, um, our mention. So I could kind of stay on the pulse of the people I respected that weren't like, uh, trying too hard, but we're really like, I guess, I mean, cool is the best way to put it. Um, and use a lot of the, the same narrative that they were using, uh, in addition to, you know, the, the, you know, the highlights and the games and, and, you know, everything that happens, um, you know, during that live window. Uh, but we would operate in Slack and we had, um, before WSC and, and, uh, Snappy TV and all this stuff, uh, we had a guy in our broadcast, um, department that was down there manually cutting GIFs. And, um, you know, we just tell them in Slack, like, oh, can you cut that three pointer? And, you know, two minutes later, we'd have the GIF of it um, natively uh, and be able to post it. So that was that was a really an advantage we had. And, um, you know, go out there through the course of the game. I always like to say, like, my favorite my favorite games were when we were getting blown out, because that's when you can really like be Mm self-deprecating and and have fun. Oh yeah, no, it's, and, and, and you can really capture the, the emotion and the mood and the sentiment of the fans and you can become a fan as the team account. Um, so, you know, there's many times where, uh, you know, it's heartbreak or, you know, you get a bad call and you got to be really careful how you word it because you don't want to get fined, but, um, really just being that extension of what the fans are thinking. Uh, so that was, that was fun. Um, that was kind of the, the in game flow. Um, and then, uh, after the game, uh, you know, there's a set of things that we had to get out the door to kind of recap our, uh, the game win or loss. 
And then uh, wins, I would always stay about, it would always take about two hours after a win to get all the content out, get you know infographics and highlights and all that stuff. Uh, but after a loss, uh, it, was, it was only about an hour of work because people don't want to hear from you. You lose and the chatter stops. Nobody cares about your content anymore. They're on with the rest of their lives. So um, we were able to play to that and, you know, get our highlights and our game recap and, you know, any any uh, noteworthy interviews. Um, but we kind of went with the tune of the fans. And then after a win, people can't get enough of you. So then you have to really beef up what you put out there and engage and reply and, and uh, you know, really just be available for, you know, that chatter. So you're still looking at, 11 p.m. to midnight on an, on an early day yeah yeah that's that's for a regular game and then a national tv game is a, a a half hour later with longer tv breaks so um you know so and it's hard to get out of that flow i would i would like feel like okay everything's done everything's good i'd be driving home uh and i'd still be looking at mentions then i'd get home and you know a whole new slew of content came in and uh it was really hard to turn it off but uh you know you kind of gotta be nimble that way and be able to um uh, ebb and flow with with the conversation and be a part of it rather than just be um, a billboard you want to be uh, ingrained in the conversation yeah and I think I like what you said about it, it was difficult to ever disconnect even in like the off season because off season just became a myth right because there was always something free of uh, the draft free agency summer league all that kind of stuff like did you get the feeling that you that you never got a chance to really just disconnect your brain from portland trailblazers 24 7 yeah there was only um and like i mentioned we had to do a lot of the arena stuff too so um that first year was really tough um but the only time I could ever really disconnect was when I went uh, a couple camping trips where there like literally was no service. Um, and even then I'm still thinking about it, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, out to dinner doing, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, two taps on your phone and you can see all these mentions. And, uh, we had created a little name for ourselves and, you know, with the complex rankings and some of the digital innovator awards and we set the bar high for ourselves. So, um, you know, I almost felt obligated to keep up that level of uh, consistency. So um, I, I brought it on myself a lot, um, just from having those high standards and the high expectations. But it's it, it was impossible. It was a it was a uh, you know it was like a, a snowball or a freight train coming downhill, and um, you know you can't really stop it once you start it, uh, or else you know people are going to notice a difference. Yeah. Was so. Was there one thing you did, or either maybe not one specific instance, like one post or something, but maybe just one general idea or one general approach that that you're the most proud of from your time there? Um. You know, I I don't think it uh, was necessarily anything like public facing, but um, I was really proud to um, kind of help. Um, I guess establish some sort of a fraternity amongst uh, social media people uh, in the league. Uh, it was something that TJ mentioned, and I went ahead and, and, and went through with it with creating like a Facebook group where everyone can uh, talk to each other without their VPs and directors in there, and without anybody from the league office uh, hearing what we're saying, and uh, a place to like you know air your grievances and you know shoot ideas and talk trash about whoever we need to. Um, that was really that, you know, that was really rewarding to bring it together a community like that and, and it helps for things like this where um, you know me and you stay in contact me and Greg me and uh, Serafino uh, me and Julie like it's it's you know those are those are the people that uh, it's almost like people you went to college with where you spend so much time together and now you're off doing your own thing but you still have that connection 
Uh, so that was one of my favorite things. And another one was uh, really getting into um, the league and how they uh, monitor and, and measure uh, social analytics. Uh, there was some sort of a template that they used that didn't make any sense, um, especially for a mid-sized market like Portland. Um, all the reports went uh, based on volume. So it was like, you know, Golden State, uh, New York, LA, Houston, Chicago always looked like they were the best on social because if you're measuring by volume, of course, they have more fans, they have a bigger following. So being able to, to suggest and implement a new way to measure and report uh, to the league office was something that was super rewarding um, because I know it, it didn't only help us in Portland, um, it helped, you know, the Denver markets, the Indiana markets, the, you know, Brooklyn's a huge market, but they're not a, have a huge following. So being able to uh, change the way uh, in, in which the league measured success, uh, that was probably one of the top two or three rewarding things. Do you think if you had been working for a bigger market team, would that have changed your approach at all? I know that's a hypothetical question, but do, were there any advantages to being in a smaller market to, to be able to do what you did? Oh, 100%, dude. I don't know if I'd want to do it in a big market. We were the underdog. Like, I loved, like, there was our, uh, the second year of the two years, or the three years that I did it, um, our, our mantra, something Damien said at the start of the year was us against everybody. And that really stuck. Like, Portland always feels like not only like the little brother to Seattle, but also just like this small, forgotten about market on the West Coast that plays their games when everyone at Sports Center is sleeping. Um, and really being able to 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 capture that uh, us against everybody uh the underdog uh and then anytime anybody in the media would you know post anything about predictions or you know show any slight towards us being able to amplify that and uh almost like instigate it where um you know you can kind of bring that you bring that bit of information to the party which is twitter uh and and say you know they're they're sleeping on us. They keep doubting us. Um, you know, this is what this is where we want to be. This is what we like. And then when you do win and when you do have success, being able to kind of uh, tactfully, uh, you know, boast and, and and brag about those things uh, was was always fun. And I would, you know, a lot of times I would use hyperbole and you know act like you know you'd say like we're the best in the world and we're better than the, you know the the warriors and all this stuff that was pure hyperbole. But it really worked in that that scenario. So I think the small market thing, like you know, a it, it was fun to be the underdog. Um, and, and B, um, you know, to, to have like that core group that feels like they've been uh, slighted or overlooked uh, to really back you and build that, that community and that tribe of people, uh, you know, that wouldn't be possible in a big market. Yeah, I definitely see that and how with the fan base that you had there, like, I mean, they got it. They knew what you were doing and you see people from you know across the the media landscape who just kind of get what you guys were going about but then i know this is going to sound pretentious and say like you know there are others that just didn't get it you know um and do you remember any issues you had where you had to just run into people that just that didn't understand what you were trying to do on a daily basis with those accounts um yeah uh, not a, not a whole lot i mean Internally, uh, it was kind of understood that, you know, Dwayne's in charge. He's kind of given TJ and Chris, uh, the, the keys, uh, to kind of run, run things and, 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 you know, put a lot of trust in us. So internally, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, explanation or, um, translation that was needed. Uh, and then externally, like if someone didn't get it, um, if it was someone from another league or a different team or, uh, even a vendor that was trying to get our business, um, I just, you know, 
I tried, and if they didn't, they didn't understand it. They didn't get it. Uh, you know, let's just go about our business, and uh, you do you. We'll do we'll do us. Um, because you can waste so much time arguing and getting concerned with things that you really have no control over. Um, that you know, I'd rather just spend that time constructively and keep doing what we're doing and being better at what we're doing, and not having to justify it or prove it or explain it to anybody that doesn't get it. Yeah. Do you think? Kind of in that same line, do you think social media just in general has changed even within the last year or two um, to where there's more of that, you know, the vocalization of people getting upset about everything, people getting offended about this or just uh, like to me, if I could air my own grievances, like it just seems like Twitter was always a toxic place, but now it's just exponentially so. Like, do you, do you see that as well? Or am I just being way too negative? No, I think it is. I mean, uh, there, it it is extremely toxic. Like even on my personal account, I'll, I'll tweet some stuff and it'll piss some people off and it's like, now they're attacking me personally. But like, I mean, it's, it's, you, you know what you're in it for though. You, you know what you signed up for and you know that everything can and will be taken out of context. Um, but even more so, like everyone is so damn soft these days. Everyone is so, uh, in their feelings and, and, uh, you know, they don't have any thick skin so they can take something out of context, um, and really run with it and then try to build a case against you with their following. Um, so uh, there's just, uh, you have to be confident and knowing what you're doing is, you know, sticking to your guns and keep doing it and not trying to be reactionary based on anybody's feedback. Um, you know, that, that's like, I don't know. It is, it, it's not necessarily a sandbox I want to play in right now from like a big, uh, public facing account. Um, but being able to see that and give advice and just things that I've learned during my time to other people, um, is, is really where, uh, I find a lot more satisfaction than actually being in the driver's seat. Yeah. Well, where do you see the, the role that you once had, how do you see it evolving or changing maybe in the next year, two years, five years? Do you think it's going to look anything like it, it does today? Um, I think there's going to be a lot more automation. Um, there's definitely going to be, um, automatic score graphics, automatic. I mean, team infographics tries to automate that stuff and it's still, um, there's still a manual process, but I see an RSS feed being plugged into some tool, um, that has preloaded assets into it. And so you're getting your score graphics and your stat graphics in real time. Um, and that's being pushed out. I think a lot of where the creativity and the human mind and, and brain power is going to come from is, uh, uh, strategy and copy. Um, those are two things that can't be automated. Um, but everything else in terms of video clipping and score updates and stuff like that, that's so algorithm based and, 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 um, so, uh, formulaic that it's going to be automated and, and people that, you know, once it was their job to, you know, search trends or create graphics as quickly as can, as they can, they're not going to have, uh, there's not going to be a place for that. But I also see it being splintered into, um, you know, people who are, uh, have, have specialties. So you'll have someone who just does copywriting. You'll have someone that just does strategy. You'll have someone that just does analytics. You'll have someone that just does paid media. Um, and whereas, you know, back in, back in our day, uh, we did all that ourselves. Um, but, uh, you know, seeing it a lot too with, uh, you know, current trends of, with, with, um, you know, s- some people are, some teams out there are looking for someone to have fun 
punchy social copy and that's why they want to hire someone everything else will fall into place because there's so much uh investment into the strategy and into the angle and the priorities that they just need someone that has fun witty copy so that's a, a job in itself yeah well do you think it's too risky to take a job like that these days uh not for kids that are trying to do it man and by kids i mean like someone 28 and younger um you know once you get onto the the you know having a family and wanting to like you know build your career like i don't think i mean there's definitely i'm not saying that someone who is uh you know further along in life couldn't do it but i feel like it's it's fun and it's sexy and it's glamorous and you have to really have someone who is on trend with not only uh sports topics and and you know the 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 pulse of the fan base but also world news and um you know anything that's going on you know try to avoid politics but knowing pop culture and uh that typically trends towards the younger minds those are the people who are fresh out of college um who live and die on snapchat and you know know every breaking news and every trend and every inside joke um you have to have someone who's invested that much of their life into that area to be able to have copy that works you can't just plug and play and have someone that you know is a good stand-up you know comic write your copy you got to be able to tie it into uh you know the, the current pulse on uh on social and in the world yeah no that's it's definitely so multi-layered and multi multi-faceted in a way that you know most people just say oh that that intern running their account um blah 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 it, like i don't that's part of the reason i want to talk about this people don't realize the you know that you're constantly walking a tightrope and trying to balance all these different aspects in the job and yeah i just don't think people really know or appreciate what goes into it yeah and the people that say that like i was saying if they don't get it um they can f off man like uh, w there's so much of the population in, in the in the business world and sports entertainment that understand the impact and the power that social has if somebody doesn't get that and, and wants to keep saying, you know, your intern is good at Twitter, like they can, they can uh, get bent, man, because the, those, that's the vocal minority. So uh, we'll start to wrap it up a little bit because I know I've had you for a while. But like, so if you had to tell someone just a boilerplate, quick summary, if they say, what's it like to run an NBA team's Twitter account? What, what would you tell them? Um, oh, man. Let's see. It is the most exhaustive, most exciting, most rewarding, most um, defeating. Uh, there's so many oxymorons to use to describe it that the, the ups and the downs uh, are equal and you're never going to please everybody. Uh, I always use the, well, here we go. This isn't a fucking uh, <laughs> a one second speech, but like, I always would have like the GM on one shoulder as like the, the, the devil and then like the president of, of business operations on the other shoulder as like the angel and like trying to balance, you know, the GM doesn't want you to do anything controversial or even talk to his players. Whereas the guy on the, on the business side, that's where you want to build your, your brand. So, um, I think being able to balance, um, a, a, um, let's see, how can I phrase this? Being able to balance a multitude of mixed signals and mixed directions, not only internally, but externally with all the fans and the inbound content. Um, it's, I don't even know how to summarize it. <laughs> I'm trying to say no, something that, eloquently and like, no, I don't know. I think you're doing, I, I think that's the beauty of it is, is that if you're, if you say it eloquently, I don't think you know what you're talking about. It's a, uh, 
it is incredibly complicated. I think you did a great job summarizing it. All right, yeah, maybe you can piece all that together and make it into something. <laughs> and that's it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to me talk to Chris as much as I enjoyed actually talking with him. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at the handle at Chris Coivisto. That's Chris with a K, Coivisto with a K. And check out the other full interviews if you haven't already. Once again, I'm Chad Shanks, and thank you for listening to this supplemental edition of the first episode of Sportsish.